What's going on, everybody? Welcome to another Whiskey Web and Whatnot with myself, Robbie the Wagner, and my co-host, as always, Charles William Carpenter the Third. With our guest today, Matt Pocock. What's going on, Matt? How you doing, guys? Good, good. Superb. Thank you for joining <laughs> us from afar and making me do this for breakfast. Yeah. No worries. What time zone are you on right now, Charles? Uh, it's Pacific. So I'm in Phoenix, Arizona. Uh, we don't do daylight savings. So mm-hmm. I'm currently on Pacific time. It is 9.30 a.m. Nice. Uh, you know, drink or be gone. Beer is for breakfast. Drink or be gone. Except we're having whiskey. <laughs> Sounds good. For folks who may not have heard of you, Matt, can you give a quick intro into who you are and what you do? Sure. So my name's Matt. I am, I guess, now a full-time TypeScript educator. I've been for about a year or so. So I mostly work essentially on Twitter, you know, posting stuff and building courses and uh, educating people about TypeScript. I don't work for the TypeScript team or anything like that. I'm just flying solo, doing a ton of YouTube stuff and a ton of building out courses and learning materials. Before that, I worked at a company called Vercel, might have heard of them, doing developer advocacy. And then before that, at a company called Stately, where I was working on a library called XState, which is all about state machines and state charts. And we ran into a lot of TypeScript issues there, which got me into TypeScript. And I started posting about the more weird, advanced, kind of magical, wizardy stuff to do with TypeScript. (laughs) And it led me here, which is not where I was expecting it to go. Life is an adventure, right? (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. All right. So we'll start you off right then. Let's talk about a little whiskey. I know you're a whiskey aficionado, as you were telling Mm -hmm. us before we started to record today having some of the Dalmore 12 year called the Dalmore 12 so age 12, 12 years makes a lot of sense yeah. as with all single years, malts that would be weird yeah it'd be weird the Dalmore 12 13 year old <laughs> thanks Robbie uh, 80 proof so it's a milder one and uh, that might be a little more appealing to you uh, let's see here 100% malted barley as all single malts are this one's cool because it's aged in American white oak and Oloroso sherry casks so it might have some sweetness to it or something. Mm-hmm. Without further ado, as they say in the UK. <laughs> that we all do. Yeah, that's how we say it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It smells to me a lot like, um, I don't know if you've had that Haichu candy. I think it's like uh, some kind of Asian candy. And it's, um, I don't know, they have a bunch of fruit flavors, but it's like it smells kind of tropically candy-like and huh. very similar to those. That's interesting because I am getting more of like a vanilla bean out of it. Mm. Little sugar, little well, vanilla bean. Did you read the back of the box? I didn't. Because no. it said something it about said? vanilla bean. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. I'm just that good. Yeah. I'm so far out of my depth. It's kind of terrifying. You know, I, I actually, I hate this stuff so much that I went around my friend Pete's house, who actually does like whiskey, and yeah. I got him to try the whiskey. And I said, what should I say? <laughs> so I thought I would, you know, come on with a bit of I can't stuff. wait for this. I knew, but I yes. forgot. I oh. actually forgot. I didn't write it down. He said oh. it was nice. He really liked it. And it's, yeah. yeah, it's not particularly fiery or a bit of fire. Yeah. No, but it's, I don't know. It, it's like I did find myself actually as a non-whiskey drinker one night just thinking, okay, I feel a bit tired. I feel a bit like, you know, long day. I just want to sit down and I want to look out at the moon and I want to have a little drink of whiskey. And I did. Mm. And I enjoyed it. Hmm. Nice. See, not all whiskey is bad. 
But there is plenty of bad out there, right? Oh, yeah. And also, uh, it was nice of your friend to offer you some tasting notes. But the reality is, is we're all kind of making this up as we go on. He picked some random Asian candy and I picked vanilla beans. They're probably in no way related. Uh, <laughs> so like, and nobody's wrong. That's kind of the nice aspect mm. of it, though. Yeah, I get a little like chocolate in the finish, I think, for me. Like a light chocolate, a I'm little watching floral. you read the hmm. box. <laughs> I am. I'm. Re- I'm looking at this thing, but uh, the box is in the trash back there. You be quiet. Yeah, roasted coffee uh, and dark chocolate is the finish. I notes. am. No. I work yeah. for the Dalmore. Yeah. So Matt, I'm not sure if you're familiar or not, but we do the tentacle scale also. So one to eight tentacles, because octopus has eight tentacles. We're so clever. Uh, one being uh, never want this again. Eight being this is amazing. Your favorite whiskey of all the ones you hate. And obviously, fours in the middle. We we separate them a little bit by you know scotches, bourbon, whatever else. But uh, we have a drinking mm-hmm. problem, and, and I've tasted a lot. So you certainly can put that up against whatever you want. It's all pretty random, anyway. Um, but for I am going to say for a scotch, I, I'm not a big scotch drinker. I tend to find them overwhelming with like either smoke or peat or something else. I'm not detecting really maybe a slight smokiness in this, but like not much. Of either of those, the sweetness gives it some roundness for me. And I usually find them too mild at this low of a proof, but I actually think this has a lot of flavor at 80 proof. For a breakfast whiskey, I'm going to give this like a six. Yeah, I think I think I agree. There are a lot of good flavors in here. I think the only downside is it's we're used to a little more proof in ours usually. So it's, it's a little watery to me, but I think all the flavors I'm tasting are very good. I guess that's the sherry casks maybe giving it some some good flavor. So. Um, so yeah, I would say, I'm trying to think, I, I'll just say six, two, you've persuaded me. <laughs> <laughs> it was, it was tough twisting your arm from afar, but yeah. Know. All right, Matt, what yeah. do you think? I think, um, for myself, uh, I would give it, let's say a four, which is if I were to drink a whiskey again, if I ever feel the call of the moonlight and I fancy another little, another little sip, then I would probably reach for this bottle again. I think, though, Pete, Pete would give it a seven. So I'm going to go mm. with uh, Pete's recommendation because he said this was possibly one of the best whiskeys he's tasted. Oh, okay. wow. I'm right. Mm-hmm. And so we're saying we next time we should invite Pete on is what you're saying. <laughs> yes, essentially. Yeah. How is he at TypeScript? <laughs> he's very good at TypeScript, actually. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. Excellent. Win-win. All right. Well, you send him our and way. And he said he's here today. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and here comes Pete to take over the interview. But Sorry, Matt. Oh, gosh. Oh, boy. We should talk tech things, I suppose, at this point then. Yeah. So we usually start with some some hot takes, which we'll just go through real quick here. So we mm. usually ask if people use TypeScript at all, but uh, obviously you do. So in TypeScript, do you like to use inferred types or explicit types? Yeah, this is the big, the big mama of debates, or at least it was a couple of months ago when it exploded all over Twitter. Explicit types versus return types or, or inferred types. For me, inferred types make most sense because they're most likely to be correct, especially when we were working on X states where you had all these types to do with state machines and very complex types being threaded through. To actually, let's say you created a machine and then you pulled it down through a bunch of functions, to actually annotate those types yourself is way more trouble than it's worth because you're just overriding what the system already knows about your stuff. The only way return types really make sense is if you want to make sure that the function you're creating is secure and like used in a bunch of different places. But 
to be honest, TypeScript is clever enough that it will figure out the correct type based on all of your if statements and switches and all that sort of stuff. So for me, inferred types are the best, but return types do sometimes have some use cases. Follow-up question. I don't know if this is getting too into the weeds here, but uh, so I I had an inferred type earlier today, actually, that was like Mm. three different types of objects that it could be or null or undefined. And I wanted like the second one. Like, Mm. how do you, (laughs) is there a way (laughs) to grab that? Like, I don't know. So you're th- you're talking about like you've got three different shapes coming in, you know, like know, triangle, circle, or square or something, yeah. and you want to grab square, let's say, yeah. out of those, or you've got null or undefined. So yeah, there's a bunch of different ways you can do it. Like you could use like a custom type predicate if you want to, like build your own type guard, like is square or something, or you can just say corners in like objects or whatever, and make sure those are four, and then you come back to your uh, like you just narrow it down through that. There's a bunch of different ways you can do it. I mean, the first one I'm thinking about is even just a discriminated union where you just have type square, type circle, type uh, triangle or whatever on each of those members. And then you can just go, if object.type equals square, then you've got your square and you can access all the other properties. So there's there's several different ways to do it. Okay, Mm. that's fair. I'll let you do the next one, Chuck, unless you had a follow-up to No, no, no. I just love how there's never one for sure answer is what I love about <laughs> programming in general is never like this. I'm right. That's mm-hmm. the thing about the Twitter arguments. Everybody thinks they're right. Um, yeah. So speaking of tailwind or vanilla CSS, and I looked at your website code, so I know what your answer is, but go ahead. Tailwind. Absolutely. Yeah. Tailwind. Yeah. Yeah. Which I, is the right answer. Because, yeah. I'm just terrified <laughs> of the cascade. Essentially. <laughs> I know that people say, trust the cascade, use the cascade, mm. but I'm scared that the cascade is going to tsunami all over me and terrify me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's the funny thing. The last thing you tell it is always right. Mm. And it's it's just got so good, like, in terms of the developer experience of it. Like, I was using it even before, like, they had the VS Code extension, and the VS Code extension now gives you autocomplete, smart autocomplete, and, like, Tailwind Merge or whatever, so you can smartly combine different variants and things. It's just amazing. And CSS, I've always had, a, like always had issues with CSS. As long as I've been a developer, there's always been bugs caused by strange CSS. And since I adopted Tailwind or since I started using Tailwind three, four years ago, it's just like they've gone away. I don't have to be terrified. And it just fits the component level paradigm a lot better Mm. than CSS, I think. CSS works really well with HTML and the sense of documents and that you're editing one thing and you go and then edit your CSS. But with components, you just really want your stuff scoped to that components. And mm-hmm. Tailwind is great for that. Yeah, it really gets rid of that problem where you have like a megabyte of CSS and everyone's afraid to delete it. Because you mm. can just, I'm not using this HTML, so by default, I'm not using these classes. So like, yeah. Exactly. So git rebase or git merge? Git merge. I've never, I don't think I've ever git rebased, which is terrifying, wow. even in itself. I've always never. been a merge boy. I think I mean unless it's been like an automated thing on a GitHub repo or something where I've just pressed the green button and done it. I don't feel like I've ever rebased, which is sort of a terrifying thing to admit. But yeah, I've just always been a merge. Here's a follow-up question: Are you a senior engineer if you've never get rebased? <laughs> Great question. I guess not, man. I guess not. <laughs> Subjectivity I wonder, all over. The I wonder place. if Pete has get rebased. I bet he has. I just want to talk more about Pete now. What is Pete's favorite uh, football club? I don't think, I think Pete hates football. I love football, by the way. 
Oh, like we're going to three we'll, teams that I follow. So we're going to put a pin in that because I also okay. love football, proper football, not that egg ball game shit. Fabulous. What do you think about signals? I haven't really experimented with them. I saw Ryan Caniato's talk at a conference called Modern Front Ends, which was like a complete crapshoot, but his talk was incredible. Basically talking about how signals are effects, you know, if we think of React. Like, I'm a React boy. I've used React for yonks. And if you think about React use effect, and you take that use effect and you use it to update the DOM, essentially, and create bindings, then that's where signals live. I really, really like the idea. I've just never found a reason to play with them beyond because especially I was focused on xState and focused on xState's implementation with React. So xState is a state manager in itself, and it uses kind of the traditional Redux model of you have some state somewhere, and then you subscribe to that state and you select on it, essentially. And what's cool about that with state machines is you get to say, okay, if state dot matches this, then you can show a certain UI. So I would love to see that combined with signals as well, because it's kind of the same stuff as just a different way of doing bindings. But I'm into them. I've just never gotten around to using them. Yeah, and maybe in a roundabout way you have in the same ideology, like said, okay, yeah, because I like the basic thought around like a Redux immutable state machine and subscribing to that and all that kind of thing because I think hooks are kind of weird and wild. So my follow-up would be this then. You've been mm. in the React ecosystem for quite some time. So class components or functional components, I mean, are you happier now or were you happier then? I am so much happier now, it's unreal. I put hooks into production, I think, like the day they came out, actually. So <laughs> no documentation? Just, no documentation, <laughs> no nothing. I saw the talk, I was like, React Finland or wherever it was. I was immediately hooked, React Iceland, I think. And I just Pun intended. <laughs> oh no, I'm not getting the pun. I'm not getting the pun. You I'm said sorry. I was immediately hooked. Oh, damn it. Yeah, that was so instinctive <laughs> that it just came out. I was, I, I just, I immediately fell in love because I was looking at, at my job at trying to, we had a bunch of different like duplicated code and I felt that hooks just solved a ton of our problems immediately. And I put them in production like immediately and they worked so well. And to be honest, I've never looked back. I've never un really understood the criticisms of hooks, like hooks, you can think of them as kind of like a DSL, like a domain-specific language. They're just supposed to work in the React environment, and they don't really work if you take them out of the React environment. But they just fit so nicely with the problems that I was trying to solve at the time. So I've always loved them for doing that, and they've bought a big dividend of love from me. I think most people are happier with functional components. And I think for me, though, it's just like the problem with hooks is they just, and maybe it's because I haven't used them much, is just that they like are harder to understand for me. The mental model feels a little backwards, but I mean, I know they're, they give you a lot more power is like the big mm. use case, but yeah, yeah. Like it's great when you don't have to pass down props for levels and, and things like that. Mm -hmm. Like there was a lot of cleanup in that range of things. All of a sudden we stopped caring about re-renders. That was interesting. Like it used to be like, don't re-render, don't re-render. And that was like the big performance thing. I feel like hooks do cause a lot of re-renders, but there's a lower performance hit because of that. So that's kind of fine. Like it, it's nice not having to think about that. The other thing that I thought was weird about them though, is that within 
your life cycle functions of a of a class component like those made sense to me because you read them and they did what they were called right and then you had this whole like mental jump though of where in the life cycle of this component do i use what hook and how do i kind of make it mimic the other thing if i had come into it clean with functional components obviously it would have been like straightforward but i had to like adjust my mental model from like oh this is how i used to do it now I got to do it that way to make it that old thing. But then maybe I shouldn't be designing it that way at all. And so it was like kind of a reboot there. So that was like one of my, my issues around that. But I can see where it certainly could solve some memory issues right up, you know, where it did, not, you know, that it could, but where it did actually. For sure. Like as a follow up to that, like I think the old re-rendering stuff like that we used to do in like should components update and things like mm-hmm. that. It yeah. often led to more maintainability issues than it's solved in terms of performance. I think actually what you gained in performance, you often lost in robustness in those models. I do agree that I think especially when we have these conversations, when we say, you know, lifecycle methods are intuitive, use effect is unintuitive. That's the one we're kind of aiming at there. And use effect is really a totally different mental model. And I think that that transition was managed in a way that I feel like could have been better. I felt like I got it out of the gate because I was having some issues with the life cycle methods as they were. So I understood, oh yeah, I'm ready for this new mental model. I love it. Let's let's go for it. Let's like check everything every re-render. But actually I often reached for X state in those situations instead of use effect because actually state charts, state managers, it's just so much easier to understand what's happening at every point in your life cycle if you've got it in a freaking PNG, you know, like you actually understand the visual output of what your effects are doing and, and all of that orchestration. So I think what use effect did is it gave us an amazingly simple API that was an extremely sharp knife. You could cut yourself very easily on it, but it meant that you could make really nice abstractions. If you were good with that knife, then you were good with it. But I feel like should component updates and the old lifecycle methods, they were sharp knives too. I don't know, maybe they were blunt knives. I don't know where that analogy falls down, but like they just led to code that sort of was harder to update, I think. Whereas a use effect, maybe they're both crap. I don't know, I'm talking myself (laughs) into a corner there. Yeah, you're like uh, not sure and you're like, I love this. Actually, they're all crap. I think the the sharp knife where you need to kind of be chef trained and have good knife skills and practice to like really hone it and make it great. Like you've got a great robust tool, but the honing in. And then like conversely, the other ones were probably like a full set that you got at a wedding and they're okay and you can do a lot with them and they're kind of straightforward this knife for that this knife for that but then when you get in a pickle you don't know what the hell to do and you got to create something else altogether therein started to become all these other state models i think is how do i handle this throughout my application and outside of the scope of just my component and stupid dumb components versus smart components and these container components mm-hmm. and all these things that we started doing that just further convoluted things i can see mm-hmm. we're like okay hooks are just going to make this a little more straightforward so let's try that yeah so let's get to what we're actually here for um so well not that not any of that was bad dranks no, <laughs> um yeah so typescript is what you're known for i'm curious when did you first encounter typescript and did you immediately love it or was it kind of a, a love-hate thing for a while? Weirdly, the same job where I was first got into Hooks was the same job that I first got into TypeScript. Like this was a project that had a lot of things wrong with it. We were a small front-end team trying to keep up with a big back-end team. 
and we needed to increase our velocity a lot. The main thing that was happening was the backend team would sort of change the API like tons and tons. And they would sometimes add little strange things into the API. So like things would be cased incorrectly or things would be null where you didn't expect them to be. And they would change like the contracts every now and again. We had like a Google doc where they would just paste in some, you know, JSON and that was our contract. And the front end that we were building was big, you know, like it was a big tasty front end with lots of data fetching with running that data down into several layers and it just felt like you were walking on ice the whole time. You would just find bugs all over the place. And so what I wanted to do was I wanted to try to find a... I was actually pushing for GraphQL at the time. GraphQL, I thought, would solve a lot of these issues because it meant that we would be actually be able to have a proper contract. But because I couldn't get, I couldn't get these guys to do GraphQL, instead we went for TypeScript. And I started by just describing the interfaces of the API in TypeScript and said, okay, these are the interfaces. Let's move away from Google Doc. Let's just make them in TypeScript. Let's just use these to describe this. And then I made a proof of concept of actually taking that and putting it in our application, you know, and actually going, okay, when we fetch this data, this interface actually flows down. And the other guys on my team sort of hadn't been exposed to TypeScript so much. And when they found that, they were like, oh, I see, we're just never going to ship a bug again, right? Because all of our bugs at that point were coming from faulty API responses. So again, we got this dividend of happiness from TypeScript that sort of just kept rolling through the project. And it just meant our velocity was just so much higher than it was going to be before. And of course, we hit some strange errors and stuff, and we had to level up on that. And I was, you know, kind of the TypeScript person and or became that way. Funnily enough, I, I got into the advanced stuff straight away because we had this kind of table components that we used in all sorts of places throughout the application for rendering all these different tables. I realized, okay, I could actually change the like render row function in this table component based on the data that's passed in. This was the first component that I touched with TypeScript. So my first component I ever wrote was a generic component, one that actually changed its sort of like type information based on the stuff that you passed in. And so again, that just meant, okay, we can actually drop a load of type annotations because we've got this generic component working. So that was how I first got into it. And then after my next job, I, I joined a company that I think was a React Native app that was fully JS and I converted it all over to TypeScript. And it just, it just again, gave me such a big boost and gave me such a huge amount of confidence. Then I went to XState and as I said, got exposed to all this crazy advanced stuff there. So then what would you say is the tipping point if you are on a not greenfield project it's already in javascript what do you think would be the the components of the project that you'd advocate for changing to typescript or leaving it alone you know either or you can kind of so you mean like motivation or you mean like uh maybe more like say it's an open source project and has three maintainers and some contributors you know a half dozen or so was that a good project to convert over? Or do you think it's like more for complex applications or for like an instance like you described actually where you have issues with the API contract, you don't have buy-in for contract testing? Because you would think like an easy solution there rather than switch your code base over is to agree on something like Pact where there's contract testing and nothing goes in that breaks the contract without agreeance and sign-off, right? But you need buy-in from both sides. So yeah, I just, don't, I don't know if you're like everything TypeScript all the time, just keep your guardrails up or do you think there's like a tipping point, I guess? It's interesting because for me, I'm all TypeScript all the time, you know, and I was long before I became like a, a 
professional TypeScript educator, you know, with skin in the game. I think it just gives you a different way of coding. And the different way is you feel like you can just get away with anything. That's how I feel. I feel like I can just sit at my at my IDE and just almost autocomplete all my way there. It felt like GitHub Copilot before Copilot. And not only do you get Copilot, but you also get the sense of security that what you're autocompleting to is legal and everything will work. Not only that, it sort of feels like when you can do well at TypeScript, you can be quite generous in that you can build these abstractions that other people get to use and they get to consume essentially the nice abstractions that you've built. So, you know, you create a generic group by function and that group by function can then be used in all sorts of places in, in the code base and people don't need to annotate it in order to get nice inference. It's a really hard question to answer, like when should you translate your, your project into TypeScript? Actually, there's quite a lot of projects out there that have a core in TypeScript to kind of like their utilities or their API methods or things like that, or the things that fetch the database. And then if you think of an application like a tree, you know, you've got this stuff at the center of the tree, and then the leaves actually still in JavaScript, the components that consume that stuff. So you don't need to go all in on TypeScript in order to get the benefits of it. You don't even need to use TypeScript. You know, you can use JS doc or things like that, just grab comments and all that sort of stuff, and you still get the autocomplete. For me, when I'm not using TypeScript, it feels like I'm coding in low power mode. I'm doing, you know, semi-skimmed coding. Like it just doesn't make sense because I've I've it just using TypeScript means my IDE gets more powerful and I I just have so many more tools at my disposal. I guess I'm too far through the rabbit hole now to say I would happily do like a a, a JavaScript project from scratch because I think as soon as I got on a JavaScript project, I'd just be itching to make at least the core elements in TypeScript so I got my tools back. Yeah, and you feel like maybe you're able to uh, catch potential issues real time rather than later on and there's some edge cases here that weren't captured in testing or whatever else. If I had just been explicit through declared types or you know just made it TypeScript so that it was smart enough through and it would tell mm -hmm. me, oh, I've made a mistake here in my edge cases caught earlier real time. I mean, I mean I, I, for me, I it's, it's not even, sorry, um, it's not even about like robustness. For me, it's just a feeling like I just want to like be back with my friend, you know? Yeah. And I think like, this is why I think TypeScript is just so sticky because when you go to TypeScript, people don't go off TypeScript. You know what I mean? If someone gets really into TypeScript, they just love it and they don't stop loving it. There's usually with a lot of tools like this, let's say someone gets really into testing, you know, unit testing, mm -hmm. like they might have a project where on that project, they, you know, have a bit of extra time and they can invest in testing and they love it and they, they do TDD and all that sort of stuff. Then they go to the next project and maybe the constraints are different. Maybe, you know, they're being pushed more. That doesn't happen with TypeScript. It's not like, oh God, I really need to ship this code. Let's just go back to JavaScript. Yeah. I don't see that happening a lot. People just use TypeScript now and no matter what they're doing. And I think that's just because it gives you, when you're used to it, a really friendly, comfortable feeling. Yeah, and I think it's good for the whole team because if you have people that aren't that experienced, they get all that autocomplete, they get the guardrails that keep them from doing the wrong things. And like for people that are experienced, if they need to do something quick, come in and fix a thing and they don't want to do all the types, like you can do 90% types. And I know it's a bad word, but you can throw an any in if you have to. At least you did a lot of good things first, right? Like, Right, right. <laughs> Absolutely. I think actually, you know that meme about the, um, 
about like the midwit thing where it's like it's got the uh, bell curve and it's got like the stupid guy on the left and like the angry guy in the middle and then the you know the zen yeah. Yeah. right yeah it's like on the beginner side yeah i just use an any oh you can't use any how dare you possibly use any <laughs> and then on the right side it's like just use an any you know, like, <laughs> it's it's fine like you can actually as long as let's say you're inside a function as long as the outside of your function is properly typed it's kind of fine if you're just using any inside it sort of doesn't matter too much and especially if that function is tested anyway so i think any gets a lot of terror attached to it but it's just another tool right you can use it yeah right. sparingly used okay all yeah. over maybe not as much you know not so good yeah, yeah. it depends fair. on your intentions too though like if you're going to come back to it and fix it it's okay for now yeah, but like if you're right. never going to touch it again, then probably spend a little more yeah. time not making it any right now. <laughs> right, so you yeah. don't have to come back. You know, think about yeah. that investment. Yeah, is it an early yeah. iteration? Or are you deep in the project? Things like that. Though a lot of open source libraries, you know, they do actually have some as anys like stapled in there, like uh, Zod and TRPC, React Query. Mm. A lot of these libraries, you'll find anys in the in the code base, and that's. Mostly because they're doing stuff where it's so complex that even TypeScript can't quite catch up to it. Mm. And so it's just sort of locking TypeScript in a cupboard for that line, you know. Any can be a tool that you use along with other things to make your code more robust. Like a lot of people will feel like, oh, I can't get this function. I can't get this type magic to work if I use an any. I would just say just use an any, right? As long as you know that it's robust and it works, like just do it. Well, I think this is a good time for this question then, which is what is the biggest mistake people make with TypeScript? Oh, God. I think the biggest one is getting scared of the errors and actually not reading the errors. I think the more you read the errors, the more you understand them because the errors, they use this sort of strange language, which is they use an extremely precise language to describe everything. What that means is like, if you're not used to that language, then it can feel totally daunting and terrifying. Another thing is that they, you know, like in a stack trace, let's say in a console error, you've got the most relevant piece of information at the top. Then the second most relevant piece of information, you know, where this function was called, then the function that called that, the function that called that, function that called that, then the environment it executed in. In a TypeScript error, it's in reverse. So you've actually got the least relevant information at the very top, and then the most relevant information right at the very bottom, which is the actual comparison that failed, let's say. And so a lot of people will just look at the first line and go, I have no concept of what that is, no idea what that's doing. That has no relevance to me. That's a type from a third-party library. Why is it saying that to me? But if you actually go all the way down and actually read it in reverse, that is, I think, think like that's going to just give you so much more context because you understand okay that failed then you understand okay i understand where that type was at that time and like who the type was with and what was happening there and it's like you're reading a legal case and you finally understand like what typescript is talking about so i'd say that's the biggest mistake is just misreading errors because you're not quite sure what typescript means yeah that's never happened to me i don't know <laughs> yeah <laughs> never happens to me, to me no, no, a ton no. like yeah there's so much information before the thing you care about. It'll be like this yeah. huge, like 46 property thing and this other 46 property thing and like 10 of those. And then it's like, actually, this is supposed to be a string, but this could be string or undefined. Oh, cool. Thank you. You could have just told me that like way a long time ago. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 I think it is all about like knowing how to read it and knowing that it does like dig down like that and it's not the, yeah. yeah, 
yeah, it's like the outermost thing that you have to drill into. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I totally agree with that. It's probably some of the things I've had the most trouble with is what's the issue? What's the issue? And then someone who knows better is like, well, it's telling you, can you just, if you just scroll no. down, have yep. you read, read it? it? There it is. Have you read it? Can you, are you read? I am not exactly. read. I am child. <laughs> Another thing too is it, it uses this crazy precise language and the language it uses is, is like it's based on AST, abstract syntax tree of what's actually happening. And so we use things like identifier or name, property, all this sort of stuff. And that's just not language that you will have come across if you've not looked at AST or not like looked at tons and tons of these errors. I do have a VS Code extension called TS Error Translator, which actually takes those errors and like translates them into proper English. Which is very nice. It's on. Um, yeah, that's it's, oh, no, it's actually the Total TypeScript extension now because I moved it into there. I've got uh, another one as part of that too. It sort of like looks at complex syntax that you're looking at on screen and gives you like a little blue thing if you've not encountered it before. So if you see like a complex type or you see like a generic or things like this, then it will actually tell you what's going on there and link you to the relevant part of the documentation. Hmm. I will be installing that oh, after yeah. this. Same. <laughs> yeah. That sounds it's awesome. So, cool. so yeah, you've uh, been posting a lot recently about some of the newer things coming out in TypeScript, like the using keyword and type argument placeholders, etc. You want to just go through a few of those and tell us about the new hotness coming out? Sure, sure, sure. So TypeScript 5.2 is coming. I can't remember when the beta is going to be released, but they have a pretty scary cadence that they release this stuff. Like it's, they just ship and ship and ship and ship. So I think it will be in the next two, three weeks, maybe four weeks. We're recording on June 21st. It might even be out by the time this airs. So what has come out then in the beta is a new keyword that's coming to JavaScript called using. And this has reached stage three on TC39, which basically means that the committee that decides what JavaScript is going to be has decided, okay, we need to put this out into the world so we can get more feedback. It's like early stage ready, but it's good to go. So this using keyword, what it does is, let's say that you've got like a database call, then what you would usually do is like const db equals await get db. You know, it goes and makes a connection or something. And then you use that. And then at the end of your function, you might do a try catch finally, the thing you definitely want to do is close that connection, right? You definitely don't want to leave that function without closing that connection. Well, it's very easy to forget to close it. And then suddenly you've just got hundreds of connections open and your database crashes or whatever. Well, using what it does is you can say using database. And if that thing that get database returns has a special symbol on it, which is a function called symbol.dispose, then when that variable leaves scope, it will automatically close that thing for you. It will call symbol.dispose or async dispose. And it means that you can just say using database and that's it. And it will automatically close it when it feels it's time, essentially when the variable gets taken out of memory. It's super duper nice. And it means you can do things like WebSockets really easily, you know, just open a WebSocket just for a little call and then close it again. There's just tons and tons of applications like file reading or all that sort of thing. This is actually like comes from C Sharp or inspired by C Sharp, at least the syntax is. And it's an extremely popular C Sharp feature, which is pretty cool that it's coming here. I can't remember who actually proposed it, but it's come through JavaScript and now TypeScript is like, okay, ready to go. Let's do it. Yeah, that's awesome. And that makes a lot more sense. For some reason, I wasn't able to grok that from the tweet that I saw, 
I was like, uh, okay, but I don't understand why this helps me more. Right there, mm -hmm. automatic closing of connections or, yeah, that makes a lot of sense and seems really helpful because I'm forgetful. I'm getting older. I don't know if you've, you're aware of that, but uh, these, these bags under my eyes aren't just for sleepiness. I definitely feel that. I don't like, uh, don't like getting older. Well, mm. maybe I do. I sort of wanted to be older when I was a kid, but now I don't anymore. I'm yeah, I is. I, I'm past that middle point where I would have been happy. You know, like late 30s would have been fine for me. That was a great yeah. spot. Late 30s was good. Now, mid 40s. Mm, Feeling the fingers of death meh. on your shoulder. Yeah, and you're like, oh, why does my back hurt all the time? And yeah. stuff like that. Everything pops when I get out of bed, you know. Mm -hmm. <laughs> anyway. Um, so, yeah, TypeScript. That's the thing we were talking about. Any advice for teams who are hesitant to try TypeScript or think it's too much overhead? Again, I'm, I'm too far through the looking glass, right? Like, right. But you've had to fight this. To... You've had to fight this battle before, them. So early on, right? Well, I guess I. So okay, yes, I have, and I guess my story from before is like, is still applicable here, right? It's if you're having issues where you just you can't call that because it's undefined, or you can't access that because it's undefined. TypeScript is going to help you. If you don't run into those issues, or you run into them early enough that you can catch them, then your project may not be complex enough for TypeScript. Although I usually find that most projects become complex enough for TypeScript, absolutely. It's funny because I have been having this conversation more recently with like state machines and state charts. Should you adopt state charts? Should you use a state chart in your system? Well, if your system is at all complex or has the opportunity to be complex, then you definitely, definitely should. And I've never found a structure of handling JavaScript that's made any sense or made me feel comfortable as just like having a TS file does. If you're thinking, should I do this? Then you should try it. You should try it with a with a toy project because I think TypeScript really speaks for itself. I don't need to speak for it. I don't need to advocate for it. I don't really spend my time anymore just like saying TypeScript is good. You should use it. I've never made a video like that. Really, like I just say, this is what's happening in TypeScript because you're probably already using it. I think we're just up to crazy amounts of adoption and it feels like the entire industry is is either choosing to use TypeScript or choosing not to use TypeScript. And that's a fine choice if you want to make it too. But TypeScript's always in the conversation. So you should know what it does and know how you feel when you use it. Yeah, that makes sense. And I imagine most people you encounter these days aren't saying, hey, help me convince my team. They're coming to you because they're ready. Yeah. Right? Yeah, maybe they're, they they're ready to go. Yeah, they've hit some stumbling blocks and they need some expertise to kind of increase momentum, right? Absolutely. I think that there is a story there about like, let's say you're converting a code base to TypeScript. Your entire team is not going to be equally on board. You know, you're going to have people in there who are like, give me my JavaScript back. I just want my JavaScript. This is, <laughs> this is horrible. I do think you should probably install my VS Code extension, first of all, because that's going to help you like with the foreign TypeScript syntax or any of the scary stuff there. I'd also recommend just reading the TypeScript handbook cover to cover because it's pretty good, actually. It's lacking in some places and there are some things that are not documented, but as a beginner experience, I actually think it's really good and well-structured. Just try it, guys. Just try it, you know? Like, <laughs> I don't know what more I can say. Just try it, Robbie. Just kidding. He does it. Yeah. I've been the advocate for TypeScript and on our team, so. Nice. Yeah. yeah. You've been that guy. Mm -hmm. We're doing this. Actually, that's just, that is what Robbie is. He just shows up with like some giant PR and he's like, you don't want to waste my time, do you? <laughs> yeah, no, I I just come in and go, how can I change this? And uh, mm -hmm. yeah. 
No, mm-hmm. but uh, you know, there's always in an older code base, there's lots of tech debt. So there's always ways to improve. So TypeScript is one of those ways that you can also then feel comfortable like refactoring a huge component because you're like, okay, I know if I totally break it, TypeScript will yell at me. So you know what? It was actually like the moment I fell in love, love. I was attracted to TypeScript straight away, but the the moment I just fell for TypeScript was my first refactor. The first time that the data shape changed and I just had to change the interface and it just a four hour job turned into a five minute job because it just told me everywhere that needed to be updated. Oh, it was just, it just felt like cheating. You know, it's just crazy when you can do that. And often actually that doesn't come up when you're just building something because often you don't need to refactor that often or the refactors that you need to do are just small. But as soon as a project hits a certain level of maturity, then you just like you just slow down and those refactors can just tear your soul apart. Whereas if you're using TypeScript, it's just easy. So speaking of total TypeScript, oh, this is your question though, Robbie. I think man, I, right. want, well, I figured I'm you'd want to go into football. We're, we're about well, at that I'll time. I'll get there. <laughs> yeah, I, I do. I do. But I, I did. I, I, we went to your site. There's some really cool illustrations on there. I really mm-hmm. like the uh, the heading font face. It makes me think of like a kind of like sci-fi novels in the '80s or something. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I'm not sure if that's a, at all related or any kind of inspiration there. But then you have I'm the a, yeah or no? Well, I'm I'm a huge Magic the Gathering nerd. Like that's and board game nerd actually. Like okay. this is absolutely my bag. And so when I was so I'm working with a team to do Temple TypeScript, and like the illustrator said, you know. Uh, like I said, I wanted to do something sort of wizardy, you know, because everyone called me like the TypeScript wizard or whatever. Yeah. And I thought that would be good because like TypeScript can feel like magic and you can feel like magic, you know, it just worked. And she said, you know, I'm really into Diablo too. Like I was, that was my favorite game. And I was like, that was my favorite game as well. So we just had a mind mm. meld and like just absolutely made this gorgeous, gorgeous thing. And like, I've never have given her a single note. I think like everything she's produced is just incredible. And so that feeling of it, she just produced, you know, the illustration that's on like the top of TotalTypeScript.com. Mm-hmm. She produced that like without any notes or without any feedback. And I was like, bloody hell. I actually had a tear in my eye when I saw it. Like, incredible. <laughs> and that just sort of inspired the rest of it and the rest of the illustration. So, yeah, it's been amazing working with those guys. Nice. Yeah, it's really cool. It's a nice design for sure. Yeah. Yeah, that was kind of my my thought. Is I was like, these illustrations are so good. I'm curious if they were made like for this or if like TypeScript additions were added into it, you know? So that's what I was thinking. But it sounds yeah. like they're all custom. So they're very, very good. Very good. All custom, all from scratch. Yeah. Michelle Hollick is absolute god. Hmm. Nice. Nice. Now, before we get to football, I do want to ask, have you played Diablo 4 then? I have not played Diablo 4. Mm. No. Okay. Haven't. Haven't been... I've got a Steam Deck, and I'm not sure whether it runs uh, Diablo <laughs> 4 or not. I mean, it probably does, but I think it, I think I'm it will. also just like, it yeah, probably will. I'm, I'm just extremely into Football Manager, and Football Manager is basically the only game I play these days. Mm. I'm still playing Football Manager 2018 because I've just like gone into my 40th season with uh, Swindon Town <laughs> Football Club. We've won you know, 13 Champions Leagues at this point. Oh, wow. And, you know, raising up the next generation. I've just, I love that game so much. Uh, wow. That's so, nice. Yeah, it eats up all my all my game playing time, unfortunately. I pretty much yeah. just play FIFA, so I understand. Yeah. Although that doesn't run on a Steam Deck, which is basically the only reason why I haven't bought a Steam Deck. Uh, it does. I thought they were you had to hack it or something. It does nope. like just oh. runs. Mm. Okay, well, you're going to buy one now. Yeah. <laughs> uh, how can I make it that runs a really well? Expense? Actually, oh, <laughs> runs nice. really well. All right, this is this is great. Yeah, because uh, <laughs> I 
I used to play it on Switch, but it's garbage. It's the Legacy Edition compared mm-hmm. to the PC Edition. And I played for quite some time. Oh, what was it? Google, uh, like mobile streaming thing that they mm. just shut down last year. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I did that? What it's called either, but yeah, I can't remember. But it was nice because uh, you could do it through like a Chromecast on the TV and the iPad. So it was just like wherever I'm at, I can play. Love that. They killed my mm. dreams. So, okay, good to know that my money is gone. This is great timing mm. for that. They're killing everything and, these days. Uh, seriously. Mm. Yeah, Google's just, I don't know what. They're really bad at business in spite of all the money they make, apparently. Okay, so is Swindon Town your team then? Well, I've got three teams. Liverpool was always my team growing up. That's the team uh, uh, me and my dad supports, and I uh, absolutely love them. Oh, dear, that's not a good face. That's not a good face, is it? <laughs> You're not an Everton right. fan, are you? A Man United fan. Man United. Oh, I forgot to say. Since that. the 90s, yeah. If I were to guess what your... Uh, since the 90s, okay, fine, fine, fine. Yeah, yeah. But other than that, my wife's family, my wife's granddad has supported Arsenal since 1944. Wow. In a year that apparently they, because the Highbury Stadium was being used for World War II stuff, they actually played at Tottenham's ground, or they did a ground share with Tottenham, which is kind of nuts. And so I've been really into Arsenal, actually, which is another mm. Man United. Another yeah. very friendly pair of clubs, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, well, this past season, other than uh, shit the bed at the end, they, I mean, they're a fun team to watch. I give them that. Uh, Arteta has exceeded expectations, I think, mm. except for he's talking to PSG now. So that seems kind of dumb. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, he won't go. He won't go for the money. Rumors, rumors, rumors. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. But that's a strange, know. eclectic mix of teams to, especially all kind of within the Premier League, too. Um, like Liverpool and Arsenal. I mean, they're not direct yeah. rivals by any means, but yeah, everybody's Man United's rival, essentially. I At mean, least you, you didn't s- say you sit in sit in a room with someone who's been supporting them since 1944, and I I dare you to not fall in love with the club as well. Like it's it's pretty crazy actually, I, and it's I, it's nice to they're they're my second team. Absolutely, Liverpool still my first team. But. I was lucky. I have a friend who's from uh, Runcorn. And is a United mm-hmm. fan, and his family were for their all their lives, and they used to have season tickets in the family stands that they had, so it was all standing room. And so I've had that experience where the whole family mm-hmm. has been a, a a fan for years and years and years. So I don't know if it would have been the forties or so, but it definitely was quite some time. So that that gets you going. I got into it. It was a little before the U.S. World Cup in '94, and then like watching Eric Cantona it was just like this Mm. is this is amazing and beautiful and just I couldn't not I couldn't take my eyes away so an extraordinary player yeah I remember it was I think World Cup 98 was the one that I really got into it Michael Owen and uh, David Beckham and the Argentinian player kicking David Beckham in the back of the leg and all that stuff oh no no sorry David Beckham kicking the other guy. Yeah, it was the other way around. Yeah, <laughs> yeah wasn't it the um, Atletico Madrid coach? What is his name? Diego Simeone. Yes. Yeah, Simeone. Yeah. That's what I thought. Uh, yeah. So kicking our beautiful Beckham. Mm. Oh no, he kicked him. Oh god. I, yeah, and got the red card and got his life threatened. I'm just and... rewriting history here in favor of the English, <laughs> which has never happened before. Yeah, it's strange. Yeah. No, never. <laughs> <laughs> god save the queen. Oh wait. Yeah. <laughs> oh wait. Yeah. I won't hold all, all of that against you. Yeah, it would be worse if it was City, I think. I really went through a lot of Chelsea hate for a while. 
Mm-hmm. And now, you know, with Pulisic there and everything else, he tried to be like, eh, you know, I watched mm. some. Yeah, he's not really there, though. He's only one uh, of 44 players, I think, they've got on their books. Right, so. exactly. So hopefully he goes some. I really want him to go to uh, Inter. Mm, Italy is the rumor. Milan is talking about it, but I'm an Inter fan also. It was like mm. the first European match I ever went to was at the oh. San Siro Inter versus uh, Fiorentina, I think it was, in 09. Damn. Yeah. Okay. You've got some pedigree. I, I like this. I've been there. I've been to Old Trafford twice, and I've been nice. to Barcelona too. So Nice. Well, I've been to the county ground at Swindertown many times, and you're very welcome there. <laughs> Sounds great. I mean, I would go to any live game in Europe just because the energy is amazing. So mm, I, it, sure. just, it just uh, depends on where it's at and whether I would wear my jersey or not. Or my kit, as they say. Your kit, yeah. yeah. Anyway. Good pronunciation, too. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so gaming, football. Uh, Robbie found some fun facts that uh, used to be a voice coach. Mm, I did. For six years, I was a voice and singing teacher. I did a master's in voice and singing. And so uh, I taught accents. I taught public speaking. I taught Shakespeare. I taught a musical theatre and all this stuff, all sort of stuff. Uh, that was my job for uh, six years when I lived I lived for a bit in London, doing work at drama schools and, you know, seeing people at my house and that kind of thing. And it was cool, like, it because it means that I can speak, which is not something that all devs can do. So it felt like when I came into dev, I you know, I was put in front of clients more. I was like... I was able to hold my own more and discuss technical stuff more. And it feels like that's why I'm doing the job that I'm doing now, because I've got this weird old career, which is still sort of coming out in me, which I think is so cool to have those two sides match up because I became a dev and I thought, oh, maybe I won't do any of that sort of performance stuff again. But now it feels like, you know, we're doing YouTube and doing all of this uh, core stuff as well. It feels like I get to scratch the teaching itch as well as scratch the dev itch, which is just a lot of scratching. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds itchy. Um, But I do find that when someone tells me something in a British accent, like I believe them. I think they know what I'm talking about. It sounds more serious. I actually have my ways voice as uh, a British woman, like because I think she knows where she's going. (laughs) Yeah. I think as well, if like if you were able to transmit like bold man with glasses, like through that as well with British accent, mm-hmm. it's a it's a powerful cocktail. You know, I could I'm sure I could just tell you anything. You believe it? This this doesn't work in the UK though, by the way, because I just I just sound posh in the UK. Like <laughs> you know, Americans just hear a posh British accent and they go, they must know what they're talking about. Yeah. And a British person hears a posh British accent and they go. What a bastard. This is an awful, <laughs> awful human being. <laughs> they want to so, slag, slag you off or something like slag that. Slag me off, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. See, I know some of the... I lived in uh, Leeds for like a month. And, oh, nice. you know, it was cool about that. Like in London, international city, you walk around, you talk, like nobody looks at you twice. In Leeds, yep. people would hear my accent and they would be like, it's amazing. Keep talking <laughs> to me. Just say things. Like, <laughs> I, I thought it was crazy, but uh, obviously enjoyed it. Yeah, has anyone yep. ever told you you uh, look like the British Anthony Edwards? I have no idea who Anthony Edwards is. Let me do it quickly. Yeah, do that. He was on ER. It's probably like a big thing. He was in Revenge of the Nerds. Those are the two Edwards. big things I can think of. I'm seeing photos of him old. Yeah, he's probably very not old looking now. looking good. Uh, there's <laughs> also an NBA player called Anthony Edwards. Really? looks like he's more prominent, and uh, I don't resemble him. No. Okay. Oh, okay. No, I've got it. Now you're getting it. 
Okay, good. Now I'm I, getting it. I didn't want to I'll completely take insult you. Um, yeah, I was going to say, is this a, oh, yeah. a compliment or an insult, Chuck? I, I mean, it's what he looks like, and this is, was a famous <laughs> actor. I mean, okay. I don't think that's like, you know, I, I didn't Sounds say good. look like Sloth from the Goonies. <laughs> <laughs> There's a a player, a chess player called Veselin Topolov, who people say I look like when I take my glasses off. Or I, I used to play chess, and so mm. I used to go to a... Um, I went to a club like for the first time, and they're like, "You look like Veselin Topolov." And I looked looked him <laughs> up, and he's just ex- relatively ugly, angular <laughs> face. Okay, <laughs> and you're like, really? "Oh, that's not nice." Yeah, see, I it's think my good. my statement is more complimentary. I'm gonna say, Thank you. and he's Thank a very you. likable character in all these things. So he's like never the bad guy, well, murderer, good. or something else. So. Is he like a sex machine? I assume. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um. <laughs> sex machine yeah, he's like uh, he's like the bald george clooney you know basically cool yeah it was also That's on good. er yeah i think he was you know yeah i forget he was on er it was such a know. weird turn for me because he was in all these like comedies and stuff for a while again like my first memory would be around revenge of the nerds and he was one of the main guys and yada 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 and then all of a sudden cool. he's like serious doctor on er well, i'll take <laughs> it i'll yeah. take it fun facts yeah all right, we're coming up on time here. Uh, is there anything we missed or anything you want to plug before we end? Buy my course, totaltapscript.com. Have a look at all the fun illustrations as well. That's uh, kind of the most of the reason for going there. I've also got just tons of like free stuff on there as well. So like, there's a, a free beginners tutorial, free beginners with React tutorial too, which is kind of we put the same production values in to that as the paid stuff. It's just shorter. So it's great if you're feeling like you want to pick up TypeScript, but you just don't know where to start. It's just me giving you little tasks to do, and then you do the tasks, and then I tell you how I would have done them. So it's extremely mm. practical. And I, I really hate, like, you know when you download a video course and it's like 40 hours of content, you know what I mean? It's like, yeah. there's no way I'm going to do that. There's no way I'm going to, like, <laughs> there's just yeah. no way I'm going to ever spend the time doing that. So actually just giving you practical stuff after, like, a minute of video is my approach, and I think it works great, and it's free. So go and check it out. Oh, definitely. And install that VS Code extension. Oh, yeah. Total Booyah. time tripped. Booyah. Thanks, everybody, for listening. If you liked it, please subscribe. Leave us some ratings and reviews. We appreciate it. And we'll catch you next time. Bye.